Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Jessica Groskopf. I'm an extension economist in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. On behalf of the department, I'd like to welcome you to our webinar today. Marketing challenges like those presented by COVID-19, the oil price collapse, and worldwide lockdowns have created a challenging economic environment for farmers. And now for our presenter. Presenting today is our colleague Robert, uh, Robert Tigner in the Department of Agricultural Economics. Thanks there, uh, Corey. And I'm gonna pull up my screen and share it, and we'll get on with the uh, presentation. So um, COVID-19 um, has changed things, and I don't think it has really changed things. And I'm going to make an argument for that here. So the presentation outline, we've already done introductions. We'll talk about uh, this as a cash flow imperative. That's a big part of what, uh, what uh, has interested people in, in this topic. We still have quite a bit of yield risk left. We'll talk a little bit about that. One of Corey's specialties is uh, yield risk and uh, crop insurance. So those questions uh, can get answered. And we still have a fair number of marketing risks. Um, interestingly, interestingly before, um, before we started this, one of the discussions was, you know, counterparty risk. So we'll talk about some cash flow planning, crop insurance, uh, marketing plans, and government payment, uh, program payments. Uh, and those are the list of presenters. And so um, 2020 farm cash flow, the majority of our crop costs um, have already been committed or paid. And so those are sunk costs. They can't be um, clawed back. And so we, we are committed to those costs. Some of those costs that might be uh, still controllable include uh, any uh, side dress applications of uh, nitrogen uh, or uh, chemigation as we use it here in Nebraska. So water is another part of that. Uh, irrigation is, uh, in Nebraska is a very big part of our crop production. And so we might be able to manage uh, costs through um, manipulating uh, irrigation. We also have weed control and insect control costs that might be coming up to, and we need to consider those at an economic threshold. Um, we know that uh, there are problem weeds uh, and those likely might need to be controlled this year under conditions where we're not uh, producing a seed bank for future years. Family living costs, oh boy. Uh, those have escalated quite dramatically uh, over the past few years. A lot of that certainly has to do with costs that can't be well controlled, which uh, includes medical costs, uh, vehicle insurance costs, um, cell phones, uh, internet, uh, 15 years ago, all of those costs were dramatically lower than they are now, and little is likely to be able to, to be done to reduce those costs. Some of the discretionary costs, however, might be able to be managed, which those discretionary costs would include, uh, do I um, upgrade or do I replace vehicles? Do I take a vacation? 
do I use my, um, <clears throat> my vacation home or not uh, this year? We might think about uh, prepaying 2020 crop costs. I put, or 2021, excuse me, um, made a mistake on that, didn't correct it. Um, we think we might want to think about that, but then we also have a problem with possibly uh, income tax for uh, future years. If I pay uh, prepay income or prepay crop costs this year, that kind of changes my cash flow for the following years. Uh, can I do that? Can I make those changes and and then miss out on prepay discounts, uh, lower interest rates possibly. Those things have to be taken into consideration when I am thinking about not prepaying crop costs to conserve cash for this year. The big part that we do have that is controllable for the 2020 crop year is uh, crop marketing. So we need to have some definitions here. Um, if we aren't all on the same page, uh, we may misunderstand uh, what uh, what the rest of these presenta this presentation is discussing. So basis, basis equal to the cash price minus the nearby futures price, or the futures price that we are thinking about selling grain, the time we're thinking about selling grain. A few days ago, I looked up the Imperial Nebraska uh, cash price and calculated their basis. Minus 35 is equal to the local price, the cash price, 293 minus 327, the futures price at that time. So we know uh, for December delivery uh, that uh, Imperial was 34 cents under the futures price. At the same day, looking at Omaha terminal on the river, it varied from 10 under to, to 20 cents under. But St. Cloud, Minnesota, ADM there was 55 cents under. Bases can be positive. Uh, think about short crop years or just ahead of harvest in, in high use areas. My first extension job was at a was at a central Wisconsin county, um, and they had a lot of dairy cows there and not that many corn acres. It was not unusual to find bases at 55 positive, uh, but that was only a couple of months ahead of harvest time. More definitions: a futures contract. This is a contract when a seller agrees to sell and a buyer agrees to buy a specified amount of a specific quality of commodity in the future. All of these terms are specified except for price. Quantities or standardized contracts are, are specified. The reason behind development of a futures contract was that ag production is biological in nature. Prices, uh, in the future are unknown when we are making production decisions. The desire is for suppliers to know what they are going to pay for a commodity and to be uh, assured of a year-round supply. Those futures contracts allow both the user and the supplier to have some more assurance about uh, pricing and supply access. Let's define carrying charge because this is an important part of making decisions of whether or not to, to store a commodity for future sale or not. Um, in this example, I'm using an example from March of 2015. Um, the futures contracts uh, for March were $3.79 the July 2015 contract was 395. That's 16 cents or four cents per month for carry. Is that enough for one to, uh, to store for that length of time? Well, do we know what our 
our storage costs are. Mo many, many farmers need to calculate that and understand just exactly what their full storage costs are. Storage costs for, for uh, an economist is not just the physical uh, cost of buildings and, and uh, electricity and, uh, and checking for, for quality, but it's also the opportunity cost that you could have uh, sold that grain and uh, eliminated some, some costs. For instance, par a portion of your uh, operating mill. There's an opportunity cost there that's often as large as or larger than um, the physical storage costs themselves. More definitions. An, an HDA, uh, this is a, when a farmer sets futures price with the buyer, when the contract is established, basis is then later set. Uh, when basis is set, the contract uh, establishes the cash price. Delivery is bound, well, for a non-roll HTA, yes. In the mid-1990s, uh, there were some court cases in southern Minnesota and northern Iowa that adjudicated the understanding of what an HTA contract was and which were enforceable. If, you, if farmers become involved in any uh, kind of contract like an HTA, a minimum price contract, you need to fully understand, those farmers need to fully understand the terms and the, the specifications of that contract. Whether there's a cost to roll forward uh, an HTA or not, um, and understand what that cost is. So what are marketing plans? Marketing plans to, to us as economists is a written plan. It's not a plan that, um, that is uh, devised by producers to, and, and not written down. It is also a plan that has prices and dates and quantities of the commodity they're going to they're going to sell, they're attempting to generate a reasonable return uh, given marketing conditions, marketing prices. These plans consider cash flow needs for the for the producer, their financial goals, whether they have storage or not, and how much uh, exists, and farm logistics. It also considers risk appetite. A marketing plan may be uh, may be very simple or very complex, depending upon the risk appetite of, of a producer and whether or not they, they want to, uh, they're willing to take on a bit more risk. You need to know, uh, producers need to know their cash flow needs. In fact, uh, when I talk about uh, cash flow, uh, or excuse me, setting uh, price objectives, one of the, go one of the costs or prices that I want farmers to, to calculate is what I call a cash flow price. That cash flow price um, includes all the items that a producer is going to have to spend cash on. It is not the same price as full economic cost of production. A cash flow price and, and an economic cost uh, will have different items in it. A cash flow co cost will include principal and interest on loans, but that principal is not included in economic cost of production. We want a written plan uh, because it is an effective weapon against emotional sales and holding on to grain past its uh, expiration date. I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. Um, it brings everyone on the same page. Uh, spouses who are, or other people that are involved in the business, as well as you know, a lender and an elevator. You have two types of marketing plans, a pre-harvest plan, a pricing grant, and, and a post-harvest uh, plan. Pre-harvest prices grain before it's harvested, that's the kind of plan that we're, 
going to be using right now. Uh, but a post-harvest plan is pricing grain once it has been harvested. In reality, farmers are likely uh, operating both types of marketing plans right now. They still have grain in, in storage someplace, and so that's a post-harvest plan that they're, that they're following. But they also uh, have recently finished uh, planting 2020 crops, most of the crops, corn and soybeans for sure except for North Dakota, unfortunately. And uh, so they're operating both plans at the same time. So the components that we're gonna have for a plan are goals, which are price and date goals. We're gonna have the strategies in a plan that, and it will specify the marketing tools, the decision guidelines for those marketing tools and some kind of exit plan. We have a, the need for an exit plan because we don't want to carry forward uh, grain, especially in storage, uh, for too long. Um, many years ago, as a farmer in Northeast Iowa, I could look across the section, my section, and uh, see 200,000 bushels of corn uh, from 1987 uh, sitting in a bin. If you all recall, uh, 1988 was the last time there was a major widespread drought in Iowa. And so that corn in July was still there, uh, waiting for sale, for delivery. Um, eventually, it did get sold, but it passed its two-year birthday before it did get sold, eventually in, in 1989. At that time, there was two opportunities for that that grain owner to have sold grain at well in excess of $3. Think about the cost of carrying that forward. Think about the storage condition of that corn. Think about, um, about the logistics of two different crops that that person had to deal with, but still had corn from two years uh, previously in the storage. There is a cost to making those decisions, and sometimes the emotional response overtakes the rational thinking about the cost involved in those. Thus, that's what that exit plan is for. A written exit plan uh, stops an individual from thinking too much emotionally and helps them uh, think about uh, making farm business decisions instead. So what's a, a, an example marketing plan look like? One page. Really for most farmers, one page is probably sufficient to, uh, to help that uh, marketing plan uh, get executed. Here's an example from Ag PhD. Um, it's, it specifies everything we need to have in a marketing plan. It uh, shows us what the expected production is, the, the uh, insurance guarantee, and the storage available to this producer. Uh, they're planning to market in 10% increments up to their 80% insurance guarantee. What they've done with the next line, though, is leave open the the tool that they're going to do or, or implement it for each of those increments based on the conditions that present as they make those sales. They've got the execution dates that for those, um, those increments and the amount of bushels that they have to sell uh, on those execution dates. They've also um, left open uh, towards the bottom some uh, change to their marketing plan if they need to make that change. Well, um, in 2012, that would have been an excellent uh, point. As we saw 2012 developing, uh, we noticed that more and more dryness uh, was developing throughout the, the Midwest and the Corn Belt. 
And at that, you know, point with, when we saw this de uh, developing throughout the Midwest, we would have made changes to our marketing plan. We do not expect people to um, simply follow through on their marketing plan and ignore the outside world. The changes that have happened, um, this COVID-19 would have been an excellent example. And um, I'll get to that here in a, in a little bit. So if you are looking for a blank um, marketing plan, the Center for Farm Financial Management um, has a, a blank that one can use to uh, develop that, that marketing plan for the first time. So other definitions, uh, a cash or spot market is when we make immediate delivery. Um, and these are commodities and we're delivering to a, a buyer's location and they're going to write a check for us. If we look back at uh, a local co-op, Ag Valley, which is located in the southwestern part of Nebraska, uh, recent uh, cash bids for delivery were $3.09, a little bit above where we're at right now. This is a few days ago. But it also shows us what uh, that co-op was offering for delivery to their Edison location uh, after harvest. All of those uh, crops uh, are also something, excuse me, back up a minute. You also see there the basis that, um, that is calculated in these offers too. So how are we gonna make these decisions? Um, how much to forward contract or hedge? Uh, for pre-pricing, some of the thumb rules that we use are to not go beyond 50 to 75% of your expected production. But you're gonna use your crop insurance coverage. Farmers are gonna use that crop insurance coverage revenues, the indemnities, to help fill any forward contract obligations. So if you're short and you can't fill that with physical uh, corn, you use that crop insurance to meet that obligation. However, um, sometimes this is uncomfortable. And so one way to think about um, setting limits to how much you're gonna pre-price on a forward contract, well, then, Take a look at what your worst crop year was. And if you feel comfortable, set a percentage of that worst crop year. For instance, um, my home farm in Iowa uh, in 2012 in recent memory would have been the worst crop, but it was fairly good yields compared to, to Southwest Nebraska at that time. I would have been able to sell much more corn at my, lo my local um, uh, co-op in Iowa just because I had more confidence that I was going to produce uh, higher yields based on recent history and I have more confidence now that I can sell much larger quantities than if I were to be um, in southwestern Nebraska. I may, I may sell up to 80 or 90% of what my worst crop year was for, uh, for my Iowa farm, but I may only choose to sell 30% of, on a contract, on a forward contract, of my worst year for, Southwest, for a Southwest Nebraska farm, for instance. Irrigation is a hedge on production and that allows us to, to feel more confident in Nebraska that we're going to have a pr pretty respectable crop, even in tough years like 2012. We've, we wanna follow this disciplined grain marketing plan. So we're gonna look for times to, to set for grain delivery, um, and that is those times we wanna, be, makes uh, sales and delivery and have cash 
coming in at times that we are going to have to pay our rent, our cash rents, or we have large um, lease payments, or we have a, a large a loan coming due, a, a farmland loan, for instance. We're looking for those time periods when we're gonna require cash and we're gonna plan for sales at the time we need that cash. What I'm suggesting is that people consider uh, the cost of borrowing money and rather than using operating loans, we think about planning our cash flow at the same time as, as we plan our, um, our grain marketing sales so that we don't we avoid uh, borrowing money if possible. So uh, timing, I've got a bar chart uh, graphic up here, barchart.com, which gives us some indications of timing for sales. Um, if you notice here, we've got uh, 2018, 2019, and so to date, uh, uh, 2020, this is all uh, the December contract for 2020. The timing of this uh, is a little interesting. Um, some 20 years or so ago, we were commenting that um, in crop marketing ed education, we were commenting March, April, and May are the better times to make uh, pricing decisions, crop marketing decisions. And now, if you'll note uh, for 2020, that's probably about right. March would, is probably going to be uh, the best time to have made some decisions during 2020 to, to, uh, to price grain. The last couple of years, 18 and 19, June tended to be, or late May tended to be that timing. What does this point out? This is pointing out that we need to pay attention to market information and the possible consequences of that, that information on future prices. And we can, at that time when we understand or think we understand what the consequences are for future pricing, we can make adjustments to our marketing plan so that it doesn't um, doesn't um, negatively impact us. This is just a, dis a description uh, from bar chart again of uh, what I've just mentioned. We probably had earlier opportunities to have made marketing uh, decisions for 2020 than we do now, better pricing decisions than we do now. So. We need always to pay attention to market information so that we can make adjustments to our written marketing plan. It isn't written in stone, it's on paper. In fact, I still use paper and pencil so I can erase stuff and, and make changes. So futures markets, they are just trading pits. Um, they are centralized pricing. Buyers and sellers are representative. Uh, and all information from each one of those, uh, those buyers and sellers is merged into this price. And this information is also an expectation of future prices. It is the best price predictor that we have uh, right now. It's not perfect by any means, but it is as good as we've got, as good a tool as we have right now. Futures contracts can be legally binding to make or take delivery if uh, someone takes that contract out to maturity. That is not what most people want to have happen, but it does on occasion. Uh, these contracts have all the uh, 
the specifications for the commodity in their in their standardized contract. And here's an example of those standardized contracts specifications. If you're going to hedge with futures, um, analyze the, any opportunity, but you also have to think about your cost. Futures uh, subtract off basis and subtract off those broker's fees to come at, to come up with a price that you expect to uh, have um, to present at the at the round turn of the contract. So if you're if you're going to close out that position, and most people do, you buy back as farmers, you buy back that contract. There's margin involved, and this is the one of the things that that holds farmers back from uh, utilizing um, futures contracts. Margin accounts um, is earnest money. It is sort of like putting down uh, earnest money when you're buying a house or something like that. It is uh, earnest money to perform the contract. Uh, if margin is settled every day, you may get margin calls and it's calculated as if you were going to get out of the market each day. So the three parts to a margin account, initial margin, maintenance margin, that's the minimum amount needed to keep the market or the position open. And at the end of each day, the margin account is marked to the market. So as an example of that margin account, um, here's, here's an example that you can refer to. Um, we made, on day three, we had to make a margin call of $300 to get, it, to get the margin um, uh, calculation back up to uh, $1,000 or the minimum account. So I like this chart uh, because it is a visual about how hedging can work in, in both a declining and a rising market. This is a chart that uh, was developed by um, Iowa State on their Ag Decision Maker website. So if we if we take a look at uh, Figure Three, the producer has hedged; they've sold futures at four dollars, um, and at some plate at some point in time, they're going to lift that futures uh, contract and they're going to buy it back. At the same time, they sell corn at two seventy five. So they they're net price at that point is uh, the same that they expected it to be is equal to $3.75 net price. And we need to subtract off the uh, brokerage fees, but basis did not change. It was still minus 25 under uh, at the compared to the start. And it did not change from what we expected it to be uh, when we lifted the hedge. But we can, at times, have um, a contract where basis does change. In this example, we sell a contract at $3. It's uh, futures prices go up. We have a loss in the futures market. We do, however, sell corn at $3.80. Basis strengthens a little bit. It goes from... Uh, a minus 40 to a minus 20. So we gain in the, in the basis and we end up with a $2.80 net price. Farmers would have much preferred to have waited to make that sale, that cash sale, and not have taken a futures position. This is where we're at with, uh, with considering risk. We have, we have to pay attention to, to what we think is going to happen in the market and make decisions uh, based on that uh, best information that we have at the time. So our goals, what are we going to uh, set as goals for our, our green marketing? Well, price improvement is one of them and price risk reduction is another. Uh, these can be achieved by average pricing or some kind of step sequential uh, sale. Um, what we're looking to 
attempt to do through this grain marketing is to uh, assure profit, both enterprise and whole farm profits. But it's tough to, to enhance price and at the same time reduce risk. But that's what many farmers' most common uh, goal is. What I tell uh, individuals is that what you're trying to do is to optimize uh, risk or optimize uh, grain selling price subject to what you need uh, to do to manage your downside price risk. You're going to uh, pass on some strategies that might add to price because your risk appetite isn't going to, going to allow you to do that. So if we set a specific goals, uh, some of those might include at an average get the average price available or hit at least the middle and higher or do better than uh, your harvest price. Grain sellers are motivated to protect themselves from downside price risk and the possibility uh, that profit, they want to profit from uh, price increases as well. Some of the tools that you might utilize to accomplish both of those uh, risk reduction and, and price uh, protection uh, is a minimum price contract and put options. But you need to understand fully what those um, risks are in both of those contracts, what your, your costs are in, in a minimum price contract as well as put options. To compare all of the tools that are available, this chart uh, summarizes uh, many of those advantages and disadvantages. Options are a way for farmers to uh, not miss out on that higher uh, price opportunity, but if we roll forward an option because price has increased and then we take another uh, position, We've also increased our costs for that option, and that may not be the best strategy in the long run. So as I've said, it's difficult to enhance uh, prices and price re uh, reduce price risk at the same time. Uh, higher net price, uh, higher net grain selling prices will tend to be sacrificed often if you're trying to manage price risk understand which is going to uh, going to take precedence in your thinking about managing those that price risk. So what kind of strategies should we should we think about and consider? Uh, routine strategies uh, which would be I sell a load of grain every week on Wednesday or I think about selling uh, grain pre or post harvest uh, at the same time with the same tool regardless of market conditions. I pre harvest all a third of my expected production um, and then I sell cash a third of my harvest and store the rest for six months and then sell. That's that's a routine uh, that that could be followed but it doesn't take into consideration the change in marketing market conditions, the change in production conditions, um, the overall economy, oil prices, et cetera. Or uh, another way is, is to allow that change in your marketing actions based on what you see in, in the future that is going to influence our prices, okay? So we take a look at pre-harvest prices versus what our, what our crop insurance reference prices are and think about that as a key indicator. We also wanna think about years following very short crops. Uh, for corn, those short crops would happen in Iowa, Illinois, southern part of, of Minnesota, et cetera, that basic corn belt, soybeans as well. Wheat, it would be Kansas that we would be interested in 
for short crops. For Milo, wheat, Oklahoma, uh, and Kansas. So average pricing via, via uh, sequential sales, it avoids selling at the market lows, but it avoids selling at the market highs too. You have a disciplined plan, you have a structure to it, um, but, and it is a price risk management, but it doesn't consider the conditions, the market conditions at the time. So another way to, to follow or set marketing uh, strategies is to look at um, expert forecasts. Um, marketing services have been around for uh, many years that uh, marketing service can be useful to make sure you stay up to date on, um, on market conditions and those things that are influencing uh, the market at the time. Generally, however, research has indicated that um, marketing advice, by that I mean the advice of what, to, what actions to take um, is sometimes a challenge to uh, do better with that advice. Now, that research is a bit old, so we, we would like to see whether or not that has changed or not. So other strategies to, to follow through is uh, using options and basis information as your, your market indicators, and that's one of the things that we think is important for for producers to consider. So another uh, thing to think about um, is that we're not saying that marketing is the be all and end all of production uh, of profitability on farms. It is not. Um, a Kansas State uh, work from the Kansas Farm Management Association looked at high third versus middle third and profitability and low third versus middle third um, profitability on, on their farm groups. Yields explained uh, the difference between profitability for the high third and the middle third. Yields, higher yields explained 17% of that higher profitability. Reduced costs explained 37% of that difference in profitability and prices explain 12%, okay? If we compare the low third to the middle third, that low third had about 18% uh, less profitability due to yields because they were lower. They had lower profitability because of 28% or our costs were 28% higher than, than um, the middle third and prices tended to be 12% lower as well. So they weren't trying to measure profitability based on um, marketing practice effectiveness, only comparing the factors that seem to differentiate uh, profitability cohorts. Production is still king as primary, but marketing appears to be a close second a very close second behind that. What this study is also pointing out is that um, it is not just one or the other. Um, if a person is very good at crop production, that doesn't necessarily mean they have, uh, they fit into the higher profitability cohort. What it does point out is that to be into these higher cohorts, and the higher third is that you have one has to be pretty darn good at, at making sure you got good yields. You got to be uh, very careful with costs and pay attention to pricing strategies. So the the management is multiple, not just one item. So risks risks that option premiums for. Uh, not change one for one with cash and futures. Uh, that's option volatility risk. 
There's production risk of pre-price harvesting uh, is used, uh, but we've talked about ways to minimize that or mitigate that. There is counterparty risk, a possibility that uh, a buyer won't fulfill the contract obligations. Um, and there's risks that market actions uh, get out of control before one can take uh, action. An example ad many years ago was uh, the inability of uh, beef producers because of a, an announcement for, um, of, what, what was this, I can't remember the disease right now, of a uh, dairy cow in Washington State having uh, a disease that might cause dis severe disruptions in, in the beef marketing chain. From one day to the next, sudden uh, conditions unknown to anybody uh, in the marketing uh, world would have changed how uh, a person could take their uh, control their risk. So one marketer's views on uh, mistakes that producers can make, uh, their reluctance to, to pre-harvest market. Uh, thinking about how it used to be rather than how it is now, how the conditions, market conditions exist now, and how you need to change, how one needs to change their marketing thinking based on that new conditions. Not knowing your basis. Uh, for uh, Nebraska, uh, Jessica Groskoff uh, has worked on gathering local bases, and so we can understand that. We have a publication up that is it discusses that quite uh, extensively. A basis uh, understanding means that we know what weak basis is telling us and strong basis is telling us in marketing as well. We don't have an exit strategy. I've talked about an example of one producer many years ago that did not have an exit strategy. Uh, another example is of a producer I worked with that did not have a time strategy. He had prices in his marketing plan. He didn't have time. Uh, dates to uh, implement that, that plan, either or, either I reach this price or a date is, is gotten to, and so I take action. Several years afterwards, or a couple of years afterwards, I asked him how his marketing plan worked out, and because none of the prices that were set in his marketing plan were, uh, were hit, and there were no dates, none of his marketing plan was implemented. Another one is that it's, it's uh, drive out emotion when you think about marketing. Don't try to second guess after you've taken a marketing decision. Don't try to second guess that. Um, it's too late. We can't make the change and uh, it's time to uh, move on. Don't try for the high. Uh, timing the market is, if, if I am trying to buy at the lowest uh, or sell at the highest, my, my ability to do that is just accidental. It's coincidental. It's almost impossible to hit that high price consistently. So what about cash from other places besides marketing? We have a 388 uh, February reference price for crop insurance. We are going to have the possibility of a price loss contract and um, revenue contract commodity program payments. Both of those, however, will not be paid until sometime in October of 2021, following the 2020 crop year end. So we're not gonna get those uh, payments until uh, next year, which doesn't help us for 2020. There are ad hoc pro, uh, government payment programs and 
that most recent one announced was $19 billion. Farmers need to be uh, paying attention to those and make sure that they're signing up for whatever programs become available at this point. So with that, that's my final slide. Um, here are all the sources that I've been using for this presentation. And it's time for me to stop sharing and move on to any questions that uh, producers might have, anybody um, out there might have. So we have some fun questions for you. And again, remember, please uh, type any questions that you may have either in the chat or in the Q&A. Um, so our first question um, is actually related to um, ethanol facilities and either their canceling of contracts or um, their, their adjustment of delivery dates. So the first thing that um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to toss it over to Robert to talk about a little bit, but um, we're actually going to be having a complete webinar on force majeure, which is an act of God clause next week, next Thursday at noon. And um, it will go into um, how these ethanol facilities um, have, have canceled contracts using that act of God clause. Um, but Robert, do you want to talk about the question is, um, let me get, let me give you a good synopsis is what happened um, with ethanol facilities either rejecting or moving the delivery of corn and were those producers able to um, actually still receive the money for that crop if the date was moved or if the contract was canceled? Okay, a couple of things about that. Um, I have talked about farmers um, understanding what's in those contracts to begin with and actually reading those contracts. Um, it, it depends on what the contract says. Does the contract specify that um, the ethanol uh, plant is going to be able to uh, do the things that, that they have done, you know, canceling contracts, canceling delivery, um, or moving uh, delivery dates. And there, there should be language in there to specify that. And farmers should should read that before hand, before uh, taking on those contracts. A couple other things that I think they need to do, uh, producers need to do before, and and this is before, unfortunately, they need to also take a look at the, what the contract is telling them before they sign. But they also need to take a look at the financials of a a a grain buyer, ethanol plants. I want to see the balance sheets. I want to see the, the financial statements of those elevators, of those grain buyers, um, before I have a, um, a contractual relationship with them. Um, I do not know, I'll be honest, I don't know if those, um, if those producers are going to receive the same price that they contracted at. That's another thing about it. Um, there, is a, there is probably something that, that Dave will, Aiken will talk about next week under these conditions. And I would, I would tell uh, whoever's asking that question to listen in next week to the force majeure uh, contract because one of the things we don't do as farmers well enough is understanding our counterparty risk, which this is talking about. We don't look at their financials. We don't look at that contract carefully enough. We, we still are sort of operating on a handshake. You need to take due diligence to understand um, that other party to the contract. Corey, response? Yeah, the, uh, the other side of this is the, the type of contract. Um, if, if they were into this on a futures contract through their own uh, uh, marketing account, yeah. um, then, then they would be uh, uh, immune to uh, uh, such an event. Yeah. So, so uh, there is different paths 
and maybe we're uh, to, to marketing and maybe we're seeing um, what, what can happen when we go down uh, a, a particular type, type of path. Uh, so consider the type of contract. And then uh, um, I think th there'll also be a play in here on the, the, uh, um, the relationship uh, between those growers and those, those facilities going into the future yeah. um, that, that uh, I think that everyone will try to make, make well because you, you don't want to leave a bad taste um, in, in this because it, it, it can beat up the long run uh, relationship. Yeah. So our, our next question is, is similar related to the locks and dam system um, that they're uh, rebuilding or, or um, fixing the locks and dams along the Mississippi River. So we know that a lot of producers rush to get uh, uh, commodities shipped down the river. Um, again, the same kind of question, um, what are the effects of them actually essentially shutting down that channel um, and, and, or adjusting that channel or closing it temporarily to, to our marketing strategies? Yeah, it's an it's a impact on uh, that, that local basis. Um, we we uh, be cognizant of, of things things that can happen um, that uh, this one this one sounds more planned um, and and so there was some forewarning with uh, uh, you know move, moving grain as, as quickly as possible before there was a shutdown um, so it's it's just part of the environment we we live in um, the the next alternative to move it is is going to be more expensive um, and then, uh, of course, uh, you, you know, you, you, you may forego getting some uh, payments. Um, so, yeah, we have to market around all of these uh, uh, events um, that, are, that are hitting us um, simultaneously. So, yeah. I think, I think one of the underlying things here is we have to look at the perceived risk as well. So as we look at various channels to market that grain, both utilizing the futures market and then with our local grain buyers, we have to balance both of those. And I think now more than ever, it's really important to shop around uh, considering basis and transportation costs um, to get rid of that grain. You know, we know there's going to be a large corn crop. That's, there's no question about that. And demand for ethanol is going to, to be a question mark. Um, we know that those ethanol facilities, you know, during the shutdown were full. And so, you know, how long is it going to take for them to distribute and consume what they have produced? And so as we look at that, we're going to have to be open to additional marketing channels and looking around, considering, uh, you know, the, the risk of, of working with a new buyer and, and their potential positions as well. One of the, one of the risks that Jessica was just talking about was, um, was, ethanol, oil, and transportation fuels, okay? So if you listen to uh, the Fed's expectations for um, the U.S. getting back to mostly normal pre-COVID-19, um, they're suggesting at least two more years. Um, and, and so it's a little bit of a challenge for people to, to make some kind of uh, prediction about what's going to happen with ethanol until we have a better handle on um, how rapidly the United States and the rest of the world moves out of this, um, this recession, um, whether it's an official recession or not. Um, are we going to have, you know, a, a sharp, V and we're rapidly out of it, or are we going to have kind of a, a low flat U and it's going to take a, a couple of years as the Fed expects? As we, we don't know that, and until we get a better handle on how rapidly we um, move back into some something pre COVID 19, it's going to be difficult for us to, to predict. Um, how well we're going to respond in the crop marketing. All right, looking at the time, we are actually out of time. So thank you everyone for joining us today. 
This has been a special Nebraska FarmCast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.